Hi, and welcome to the second chapter, the podcast where Kristen Duffy, the founder and producer behind Slackline Productions, that's me, talks to women who started the second, third, or even fourth or fifth chapter in their lives and careers after the age of 35. This week, we're picking up on the second part of Denise Harrison's inspiring story. After the traumatic loss of her father as a child and the alcoholism of her mother led to abandonment issues and eventually Denise finding herself alcoholic and homeless, Denise was at rock bottom. Here's what happened next. I slept in all my clothes. I slept in my boots as well. I'd got my dead cat's ashes in my sleeping bag. You know, to go from that to this is just mind-blowing. So let's talk about going from that to this. You spent six weeks in detox. Yeah, six weeks in detox. And then I went straight from detox to rehab. And that that was my insistence you know some people left detox and then they go back out into the big wide world and and then maybe go to rehab later but I didn't want to take any chances I literally wanted to go from A to B and so yeah so that's why I was in there for six weeks because they were waiting for a bed to come up in in rehab for me to go to Um, and they could see how hard I was working as well you know I literally did from from the minute that I was in there I I was just like, right, you know, I'm going to do this. And so, yeah, this this staff couldn't do enough to help me. So they kind of kept me safe there for six weeks. And then I went to rehab, which in all honesty, I absolutely hated. But, you know, it it, it did the job. It's, It's, I had four months in total of being structured and, you know, having a routine and eating nutritious meals and, you know, just having some kind of normal back. Because it's like, I was, the only way I describe it is I was so normal before, you know, I I was stable. I was, you know, in this long-term relationship, I'd get up every day and I would shower or have a bath and brush my teeth and do my hair and put my makeup on and I'd put my heels on and I'd go to nice places and things. And then to become this bloody tramp-like woman looking in a mirror in Weatherspoons wearing the same clothes for 10 days on end it's it's abnormal but it's it's amazing how quickly you adapt to abnormal and what some you know what would previously have been completely unheard of suddenly becomes your normality yes Yes. And then, yeah, and then that's ingrained then, you know, that's, that is how you're living. And so you don't see anything wrong with it as such because you're so far removed from where you were that you couldn't get back there if you tried anyway. So you just carry on being this half a person, living this weird, horrendous life and, and, and just taking your chances with that. So, you know, so for, for, for my hygiene and everything to go to the wall, was a symptom of everything that was happening to me you know it, it it wasn't me just being lazy or whatever it was it was me just either not having the the headspace to do it or I was traumatized and 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 didn't want to take my clothes off in the first place yeah and the and the vulnerability the vulnerability and, and, of taking your clothes off is a thing whether it's to protect yourself physically or if it's just I can't be exposed because too much has happened yeah, it's, you know, and and those were the things. So detox gave me that security. 
you know it, it, I knew I was safe there I knew that the staff cared about me I knew that nobody was going to turn up at the door and you know and start giving me trouble or you know there, there wasn't any madness it was all gone it was all in the outside world and all I had to think about was getting well and that was a mission you know I don't <laughs> I didn't I needed all my wits about me to do that you know it, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination you started writing how did that happen Mm, so I I moved out of, well, I walked out of rehab because they wanted me to do something that I didn't agree with. They wanted me to go on a day trip, okay, which, which sounds like quite a nice, pleasant thing. But the place where they wanted to take us was a place that was like quite triggering for me. Mm. And I said to them, look, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to this place because the last time I was there, I had a rucksack full of beer on my back. And that's all I'm going to think about as we're walking around, you know, and I don't want to put my head head in the place where I'm all I'm thinking about is alcohol, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And they were insistent that I went and I was just as insistent that I wasn't going to go. And they basically said, well, you don't have a choice. So I walked out of rehab and I went to a homeless hostel and I was struggling with it a little bit. <laughs> You know, it was like just a weird environment to be in. And a friend of mine was talking to me and, and she was like, look, I want you to write. And I was like, well, you, you know, what are you talking, <laughs> what are you talking about? What, what am I supposed to write about? <laughs> and she's like, I don't care what you write about. She said, but I know you, you know, you're a clever girly. You've got your head screwed on and I want you to write. She said, and not only do I want you to write, I'm going to build you a website <laughs> and you're going to put your stuff on it. And I'm like, what? Yeah, okay. So um, I started writing these little blogs, ramblings from the inner workings of my head. So as I kind of got a little bit more confident, I found that the writing was helping me. Okay, yeah. so it, 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 it was something that I could turn to whenever I wanted. So even though it was really half-hearted when I started... I got into it really quickly because it was a way for me to switch off against anything that was going on around me. I mean, I was in a town, there were pubs and bars and supermarkets and whatever on on every corner pretty much. So if I wanted a drink, I could go and get one. I had all the independence in the world in, in this homeless hostel. So it was down to me to keep myself on track. And so, I, you know, I'd, I'd write on my phone, I'd, I'd like little Word documents or I'd carry a little notepad around with me and stuff. And so what initially was just basically to humor her, really, <laughs> it, it, turned, it turned into something much bigger. And then I started to rely on it. You know, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually helping me. And I found that I was almost in touch with my soul. You know, I'd be writing the, this stuff and my inner feelings and things that I wouldn't even admit to myself were coming out on the paper in a way that I couldn't ever imagine. And so I set up an account on Twitter and I, I started to put some of my work on Twitter and I hid behind an avatar because I, you know, I'd had no confidence. Yeah, and, I have to uh, ask about the website name and the Twitter name. I'm curious <laughs> about why you chose because you were just oh, a girl okay, my life yeah, and then course, just a girl yeah. with your avatars. So my friend and I were trying to choose a name because, you know, I wanted to be anonymous, but I also wanted it to be anybody's story. So she was like, oh, well, you know, why don't you write as like, it's just me or, you know, she was coming up with these different names and I was like, no, they're, they're not right. And I said, just the girl, just the girl is perfect because 
I was just a girl just having a normal life and then you know everything started to go a little bit wrong and and then I was just a girl drinking too much and I was just a girl in hospital I was just a girl in a homeless shelter and you know so it, just a girl was was just the perfect name for me and and for what I was trying to achieve and so that's that's how the name came about so I set up this account on Twitter, you know, with the, with this name that made perfect sense to me and this little avatar. And I put my work out on Twitter and then people started to read it, <laughs> which one was incredible in itself. But two, they actually really liked it. And, you know, people would start to like send me little private messages and emails and things and, and start to connect with me. And then I realized that I was actually I was telling other people's stories as well as my own and, you know. It just grew so much bigger than I ever expected. And then I wrote This Is Depression and that just went off the scale. You know, that was originally a blog and I put that out on Twitter and, and the reaction that I got from that was quite huge, which led me to think, well, maybe, you know, we should make a film about this. Yes. Because I wanted to document that time of my life. It needed to be more than just words on paper. It needed to be something concrete that I could look back on and, and go, do you know what? Look at how far you've come. Look at what you've achieved. Reading your blog, it's obviously very personal and somewhat autobiographical, but a lot of feeling with the blog, whereas This Is Depression is truly your story. Because I think yeah, all of it's your yeah. story. But I do feel like the blog, there are poems and it feels very much, like you said, it's a lot of people's stories. But when we watch This Is Depression, it is your story. Yeah, that, that was literally me just having a splurge. I wrote that in about 15 minutes because it was, you know, it was going round in my head. And I just wanted to document that time so, so much. Not that I would ever forget it because you can't, yeah, you you can't really forget, forget stuff that. like that. But part of my recovery is, has been taking the rubbish stuff and turning it around and making something good out of it. And, and so that's what I wanted to do with the film. I wanted to take something that was really dark and raw and horrible and ugly and turn it into something that was dark and raw and, and beautiful, potentially, you know. Um, and I did it for Bear as well. I, I wanted to make him immortal yeah. <laughs> because he was such a little dude, you know, so he's in the film and he's never yeah. going to go away. You he know? definitely he's, he's has this... a starring role. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, it, was, it started off as a crazy little idea on Twitter that suddenly grew wings. So if people are listening um, and haven't watched it, it's This Is Depression and it is this beautiful animated short film with an amazing soundtrack. And it's gone on to have some interesting accolades, Denise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> I put it into a film festival just, just to see, really. And then it won straight away. <laughs> it won Best Animation um, in a film festival in America. And then I got invited to the Discover Film Awards um, because my film had been chosen to, to show that. And so, you know, I go to London and I go to the, the film awards and the, the film's being shown on a cinema screen in London. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sat by myself on the front row because I went on my own. And I'm like, just watching this film, you know, and, and all these people behind me. And it had been entered into best animation category. And then when we were at the ceremony after it, it didn't win best animation. 
which, you know, I, I didn't, to be fair, seen the competition that it was up against, that, that there were some phenomenal films in, in that competition. So I'm busy chatting away to the people that are on the table with me. And I don't hear the fact that they're talking about the, <laughs> the film on stage. <laughs> and then she stood there and she's holding out this award and she's saying, yeah, we've, we've judged this film because it made all the judges cry. And, you know, it's won this award for best adaptation. And it was only when she said the name of the film and then my name that I realised. So I'm still halfway through a conversation. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I just and have to accept yeah, my award and now. Then it's like, oh, no, I need to be on stage. Hang on. What? What? <laughs> and so that was just mind blowing, you know? So it, yeah, so it won Best Adaptation at the Discover Film Awards. So it's won four awards so far. I've got the Best Writer Grand Jury Prize in Los Angeles, which is quite cool. <laughs> it's there. I mean, come on. That's oh, quite cool honestly. is such an understatement. <laughs> it, it, it's just... Like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> woo! I have to give you like a woo. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm sat here high-fiving myself. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, High-ten yourself. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. So, so it, it, it just, I think the film just, it elevated everything to a new level you know and and it it started pushing me to to see what else I was capable of you know and then I was drawn to kind of writing these monologues and these blogs and then matching them with actors and seeing how it would look if somebody else was reading it and and then I learned a bit about direction and I taught myself how to subtitle so now I can subtitle my work and then I've written a play you're just putting that as part of the list, but you've been hinting at all oh. these this big news on Twitter, and one of the things is that you've just finished a play. Don't yeah. just put it in the list. Congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. And I, I love it. It's it's taken me two years to get the story down, um, which is a really long time for me because I've got like an addict mentality now. You know, everything has to be like rush, rush, rush. And, you know, I, I panic about deadlines and things. It's like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And actually, I don't have to do anything. You know, my, the, the main focus is, is still to just keep balanced and keep myself on the straight and narrow. But I don't have the attention span that I used to have before. I can't process information like I used to because I just, I just don't have it in me. So for me to take that long to write something is like really quite incredible. When you like say when you think that this is depression took me fifteen minutes. Yeah, this place <laughs> taken me two <laughs> two years. But I absolutely love it. It's it, when it comes to the theatre, which we've got tentative plans ticking away in the background. Hopefully, it's going to make a few people think. You know, it's going to spark a lot of conversations. It's a social impact play. It's it's about mental health, it's about addiction, it's about, you know, the darker side of things that can happen to a normal person and, and seeing how that person then has to navigate their way through this minefield of, of all of these horrors that, you know, they've, they've never had to deal with. And I, I absolutely love it. I've poured my heart and soul into it and I'm really proud of that. So when it finally comes to fruition, I'll be a very happy girl. I can't wait. I'm really excited for it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so where was the leap from, I can't go on a day trip because it triggers memories of having beer in my rucksack to mm. sit and chat in a pub or I, you know, I can do all of this without, without that trigger. I'd already started when, when I was in detox. Okay. I, I had a conversation with myself 
I was throwing myself into all these different things. I was like making jewelry and I was making like little clay people and doing yoga and, and doing all these bits and, and pieces. But the thing that I had to come to terms with in my head was like, I'm not a coffee shop type of girl. Okay. I, mm. I never have been. And so I didn't want my life to be so unrecognizable. When I came out the other side, I still wanted to have a relatively normal life for me. You know, I'm a social girl. I, you know, I, I like social settings and I know I'm a bit of a hermit as well. I can, I can be like a total 50-50, but when I'm in like my social mode, I didn't want to be, some of my friends wouldn't even walk in a supermarket because there was alcohol in the aisles. They were so crippled with anxiety over that. I was like, do you know what? I'm not only going to get over this, I'm going to master it and I'm going to make sure that I've got the upper hand with this. And so I started, when I was living in the homeless hostel, I went to the pub and I bought myself a pint of blackcurrant and soda. And, and you know, I'm not advocating this to other people out there who might be listening, who were right. in recovery. I'm not saying that this is going to work for everybody. Right. But for me, it did. And that was my way of dealing with things. And so now I live a normal life. I, I can sit in a bar, I can sit in a restaurant. I'll even have non-alcoholic beers. But that's my line. You know, that's where my limit is. So I get to enjoy the social side of things as and when I want to without being paralyzed by fear. As long as I'm careful or as long as I've got my wits about me, then that's how I live my life. And I'm happy with that because, it, you know, if I'd have had to sit in a coffee shop every single day for the rest of my life and, and never venture into a pub or a bar or a restaurant because I'd be scared of what might happen, that to me, well, that wasn't good enough. You know, alcohol isn't the problem. It's what it does to me if I drink it. That's right. the problem. I needed to have the upper hand, you know, and, and that's not taking my addiction lightly in any way shape or form I don't I don't ever get complacent about it I'm always on the ball you know I, I absolutely do I risk assess everything but I had to make my life livable for me and 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 that's how I chose to do it and uh, you know it's four years in November that I've been sober and that's a massive milestone so you know whatever I am doing is working for me and, and I'm quite happy with that writing is my coping mechanism now whereas at one time it would have been alcohol it's 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 my notepad it's my laptop it's it's my phone whatever I I need to get out of my head that is negative or that's you know potentially going to do me some harm it doesn't get the chance to take root because I I write it out when I was in early recovery, I think I was writing like 10 blogs a day. <laughs> That's amazing though. I mean, it is, oh. <laughs> everything's coming out. <laughs> mm, it was, it was, it was just like this purge, you know, and now it's like, it, it's dropped off. I, I, I still write, but the things that I'm writing are far more intricate. They take a lot more time and, you know, I'm not just throwing a blog out every five minutes like I used to, but I also see that as a positive because it shows that what I've been doing works. What I used to have to cling to like a life raft, I can now just reach for and breathe about it, you know? And, and I enjoy writing. I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's, I feel like it's what I'm born to do. 
So and he said you have purpose. usually three projects going on yeah. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So what's next? I can't imagine chatting with you and knowing about you that you're like, okay, well, I've got this play now, so I have to work on getting that done. It has to be the play and something and something. Yeah, there's the play. There's I've got a book called How to Make a Mess of Things, because basically I did for a while. I could write that book too. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of in progress at the minute as well. And it, it's, it's it's in a series of blogs and it, it kind of documents the different headspaces that I was in during recovery. And, you know, it, it covers the crazy boyfriends and the nights on sofas and, you know, detox and it covers all of it. But it's they're all stories within a story. And I think that that's the best way to write my story, to be fair. It's, you know, people can dip in and dip out of it as they feel fit. And I've also written a book called Why I Don't Want to Go to School, which is about a little kid whose mum has depression. And so it's obviously based quite loosely on, on my own early days. But it's it kind of speaks from a small, younger child's point of view. You know, she doesn't realise that her mum's got depression and that's why she's gone to bed. She thinks that her mum's got tired from doing all the housework because <laughs> she's the one now doing all the housework and it's making her tired. So, you know, it's it's trying to put like a kid's spin on on how they see an adult with depression without actually anybody around them to explain what's going on and how confusing it is to have to step up to the plate when you're not the adult. So I've got those two things. I've got the play. I think that's it for a minute. Oh, and a couple of other. <laughs> a couple I mean, of other blo- <laughs> come on. <laughs> I've got a couple of other things that I'm working on, but they all kind of pop up on Twitter at some point. So I have to say that my flinty cold heart, you know, I could hear your whole story and, you know, appreciate the story. But then when you started talking about the from the perspective of a child and thinking that their mother was just tired from all the housework, I have to say that's the moment that I was like, <laughs> but it is because that's that's what she thinks yeah you know because she's she's kind of she's going to school but she doesn't want to go to school because her mum's ill and her mum needs her so you know she tries not to go to school but yeah basically it's it's her just you know coming back from school or the park or whatever and you know making sandwiches and making cups of tea because that's all she's capable of doing yeah because she's a kid and then trying to do the housework and getting tired because <laughs> She's a kid, but thinking that that's why her mum went to bed. And then she's panicking that if she gets tired because she's doing all this housework and she goes to bed, then who's going to feed them? Aww. You know, so it's, it's, it's a real powerful little story. It's only short, but it's, it's, it's quite punchy. Where can and we I, read know, this one? Well, it's, it's in the process, but I'm nearly getting ready for publication, hopefully. Yes. So, yeah. So, it's again, I think it would be a really powerful book for schools. Everybody knows a kid in school that kind of stands out you know whether yeah. you're a teacher or a parent or another kid or they kind of stand out a mile because they're vulnerable and you can kind of see that you know and I kind of wanted to write that book to show that maybe there's a reason for that vulnerability there's a reason why the kids clothes are dirty and you know you, you can't just make an assumption you have to get to the root cause of, of what's actually going on and so I think that this book and the illustrations are beautiful. They're, they're done by my friend Emma. And she's just captured this little girl so amazingly, you know, and I just love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like one of the things that's come out again and again is despite everything that's happened, you've had these really 
your friend who got you this website started and encouraged you to write, you know, a friend that's an illustrator who's illustrated this book that sounds amazing. How is the support of friends? I've got incredible friends. I've got, I really have. It's like when I was, when I was ill, I had three people that basically, I called them like my three musketeers and they're the people named in the film at the very end. And it's Jackie, Sally and Ian. And Ian was the guy who gave up his sofa for me and, you know, kept a roof over my head and, and, and tried to keep me from harm while I was in like my absolute worst stages. My friend Sally's just like an angel. She's been there from, from the start. She knew me before, you know, and she saw the decline and the descent and, and she stuck through me through all that. And, and I can't even begin to put into words how, how amazing that woman is. And also my friend Jackie, you know, she put me up in her hotel for a while, you know, for free and fed me. And they, they just like closed ranks around me. They, they were like my babysitters, but none of them knew each other, which was the irony. Sally kind of knew Ian a tiny bit towards the end, but none of them knew each other, but they all worked incredibly hard to keep me going and to keep me alive. So they were my friends back then and they're still my friends now. And then through Twitter, I've just met some incredible people that I, I class as friends now, you know, like my friend Emma. I met her on Twitter. You know, I, she asked me to take part in something. She's actually an actress and she's quite a creative as well. She had a piece that, you know, she wanted me to take part in and, and I, I became her muse. She made a sculpture of my head and that went on display somewhere. I've met some incredible people and, and I'm really, really lucky to have them in my life. And none of them live near me, which is really frustrating. I have no connection with Twitter. I don't work for them. I'm not sponsored by them, but I do have to say, I always, I'm always amazed at the kind of people you meet through these limited characters that you start. I mean, that's how we, that's how we've met. And it becomes this whole kind of like, now I I actually have a friend and you kind of go off Twitter and start chatting for other reasons or or you meet and they make a bust of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who's that in a hotel room in Paddington covered in plaster of Paris? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Honest, honestly, yeah. So Twitter for me has been, that was my saving grace along with everything else, you know, starting that account on Twitter gave me the confidence to carry on and, and do more. You know, I think without having an audience, even though it was an unseen audience, without having someone to write for to kind of spur me on and, you know, when I wasn't feeling very motivated, without having that, it might not have, have had the impact that it had. But the people around me were so supportive, you know, and, and, and loving my work and, and being really kind and retweeting it and, and just generally being amazing that gave me the confidence and and the more confidence I got the more I wanted to push myself now I'm kind of at the stage where I'm like you know what the world literally is my oyster and I can do whatever I want to do and you know what am I capable of what can I achieve and it's just phenomenal you know but like I say I did from I never in a million years would have imagined that there would be light at the end of the tunnel from, you know, the situation that I was in to, to you know, winning these awards, to, to doing the film, to writing the books, to just turning it all into something magical. It, it's just incredible. You know, I, I don't feel like a failure ever. Now I feel like a woman who's been through a world of shit and come out the other side and gone, you know what? <laughs> yeah, see what I'm made of. <laughs> yeah. 
I was going to ask you because I feel like you've said a million inspirational things, but you know, I originally said something about a quote, but I feel like what you just said is the inspirational quote. You know, Uh the world is my oyster and I look back at everything and never thought that I'd come out of this light of the tunnel. Unless you have something else that I've you want to I've got one. No, I've okay. got one special. Oh, good. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> and I had to, it took me ages to choose because there's some really, really good ones. But the one that stuck in my mind was the caterpillar felt like her life was over until the day she started to fly. And I just thought that was so beautiful. You did give me because, just, you know, that, that feeling when your um, head kind did of... Did you get like goosebumps? A, you're like, my, my hair stood on end a little bit because it's such a but good... But that, that's, that's, that's how it is because the whole thing, I was a caterpillar going through this horrible metamorphosis and then it took me ages to kind of come out of my cocoon and, and show my face and, and start to regain confidence in the world again. And then suddenly it was like, do you know what? There's a purpose behind this and it all makes sense. And now maybe I actually am a butterfly. In fact, no, I am a butterfly. I know I'm a butterfly. Let's see how high I can fly. That's, that's. One other thing I want to ask since I go on about the over 35, I think we said once it was our little secret, but your age Uh. now, (laughs) your age now, because I mean, you've gone through all of this and you've had, you've led such a life and now. I feel 250 sometimes. I've just turned 47. And you've just learned to fly. And I've just learned to fly. (laughs) If you find yourself suffering with mental health or alcohol issues, especially in these difficult times, know you don't have to face it alone. In the UK, you can search IAPT to find an NHS psychological therapy service or contact the mental health organization MIND. The NHS also has an alcohol support page, which will link you to national and local support at www.nhs.uk forward slash live dash well forward slash alcohol dash support. Thanks again for listening. The second chapter is just getting started, so your subscriptions and five-star reviews mean so much. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.